Perverted, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Victor Anakin, and you're listening to Afro Verdict, a series of podcasts where I share the voices of African experts, youth, and prominent figures to bring you, our listeners, the African point of view on local and global matters. In celebration of Zimbabwe's Independence Day, today with us we have Professor Sabelo Ndlovo Gacheni, historian and decolonial postcolonial theorist professor and chair of epistemologies of the Global South with emphasis on Africa at the University of Beirut in Germany. Professor Ndlovo Gacheni will walk us through Zimbabwe's colonial history and explain how the policies of the colonial UK affected the country's development and how the granting of independence predetermined Zimbabwe's future. On the 18th of April, Zimbabwe celebrated the 43rd anniversary of independence, which the country received in 1980, having separated from the United Kingdom. The inhabitants of what was then Southern Rhodesia, the colonial name of Zimbabwe, experienced a lot of suffering during the colonial period. However, Western states started imposing sanctions on Zimbabwe already in 2001, and according to a United Nations Human Rights Council report, Published in 2022, Zimbabwe lost over 42 billion US dollars in revenue over the past 19 years. Professor, welcome. And please start off by telling us what were the short and long term effects of colonization on Zimbabwean society? Zimbabwe was um, occupied in 1890 uh, by the the British South Africa Company using the what was then called the Pioneer Column. And they, what they did is <clears throat> they moved from South Africa into Zimbabwe, then into into then Salisbury. <clears throat> that was in, in 1890. And in, in that movement, they then raised the Union Jack in what is called the Harare today. Uh, but the southern part of, of the country was not yet uh, occupied, so they had to establish themselves in Salisbury. Then after they established themselves, which took them 1890, 1891, 1892, 1893, they then moved against the developed state, which was located in the southwestern part. Uh, <clears throat> and that... Uh, was not an occupation in the true sense of the word. There was the Anglo and the War of 1893. And I'm giving this background because it is necessary to get the facts right. Uh, that uh, the actual effective colonization, I think we must actually date it after 1897. Because from 1890 up to, <clears throat> up to 1897, the people were resisting, as you know, the Anglo Develop War is eighteen ninety three. Then the Shona Develop Uprising is eighteen ninety six, eighteen ninety seven. So effective colonization of, of, of the country uh, through the <clears throat> the order of council of Materialland and Mashonaland is actually nineteen hundred. Uh, that's when they were able to to do what colonialists call pacification. But uh, uh, give, having given this background, one of the first effects was the brutality. 
the physical brutalization of the people <clears throat> who occupied the land between the Limpopo and the Zambezi. And they, of course, were using historical terms uh, loosely here to say it was Zimbabwe. It was not Zimbabwe. Uh, <clears throat> and the, it had various names. People had various names of, of who they were by then. <clears throat> but uh, the, from 1896 to 1897, that's when the really brutality of colonialism <clears throat> in terms of physical brutality, the use of dynamite to to dynamite people who had hidden in the in the in the caves in the mountains, the the looting of Kekli, the <clears throat> the burning of their villages and they really to to destroy the pre colonial social formation. So that's that's one effect. Uh, if you start from the time of the encroachment and the, the, the physical colonization. And then from, from uh, after the Ndebele and the Shona were defeated in 1896-1897 uprising, then they begin now to lay out the infrastructure of colonialism. And to lay out the infrastructure of colonialism, it meant that they had to displace the people from the land. But again, we know that they did that effectively through the land apportionment act of of, of 1930. Yes, that's when they, they 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 removed the people. But because the people had resisted in 1896, 1897, they were cautious between 1900 up to 1930 not to just take the people's land like that. So they wanted to really to establish themselves. And they, you remember after the. After, after the 1896-1897, one of the compromises of colonialism was that they said we were recognizing the chiefs. But in reality, what they were doing, they were turning the chiefs into the lowest uh, <clears throat> lowest uh, officials of the colonial administration. The chiefs were now uh, given a small salary, and also the chiefs were now used to to collect taxes, uh, to also collect young men for, 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 for labor. So the, the chiefs were being turned around. They were reinventing them, not as representative of the people, but as representative of, of, the, colon, of the colonial system. Uh, in Matevela land particularly, which I did, I did my PhD on the Devela state. In Matevela land particularly, colonialism was accompanied by the loot committees. And the loot committees, were meant to loot the Ndebele Kekli. And they said by right of conquest, the Kekli, all the Kekli in Ndebele state, they now belonged to them. And they distorted the, 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 the property ownership uh, of the pre-colonial societies. And they said, in the pre-colonial society, there is nobody who had private property. The property belonged to the king. Now that the king, King Lopengula, has been defeated and he disappeared. Therefore, Everything in material land now belongs to the British South Africa Company. And that's another thing which we need to underline. Because from 1900 up to 1923, uh, the administration was actually by a commercial company, the British South Africa Company. It was only after 1923 that they had what they called the responsible government. Uh, that's when they formed the government. After <clears throat> that referendum where they, they had to choose whether to join the South African Republic or, or to be independent. Okay, so there is, there is really the looting of the material resources in terms of taking the cake. There is also the looting of material resources in terms of 
because the the the, the pioneer column those who were used to conquer both Mashonaland and Matebeleland, those were promised. They, they they were mercenaries, if I can use the the right way. Mm-hmm. They were mercenaries who who when they when they came in, they then said to them, if you defeat these people, then you will get land, you will get mines, claims, and all this. And they and they indeed after their defeat, that's when land was gradually shifted from the from the the indigenous people to the to the colonizers, beginning with the Kwai the Kwai reserves where they then began to push people into the drier, infertile, fertile infested areas, and then they were taking the prime land in the in the in the high veld. This is we are talking about the impact. I need also to go on because yes, uh, the other impact is that the other impact is that in the legal uh, 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 <clears throat> domain. They began to introduce these other laws, like uh, the Witchcraft Substitution Act, whereby they were now, they were now, uh, what, what, I, what I will say is they were now uh, criminalizing African ways of living. Yeah, that was actually my next question. I wanted to ask, what effect did the British colonial rule have on the traditional culture of Zimbabwe at that time? They began to introduce the Roman Dutch, Dutch law, which is not what the pre-colonial African people were used. Mm-hmm. And they, using that, that, that foreign law, they began to criminalize the very way of African living. Uh, for instance, uh, the Witchcraft Suppression Act, if you mentioned that somebody was a witch, you would be arrested. And then uh, people lived through hunting. Uh, they combined the farming, uh, but they were also hunters, they used the dogs to hunt. And that hunting became criminalized as poaching. Hey, so so there was really the the the, the also also in the in the domain of, of spirituality. Uh, some people call it religion. I prefer to call it spirituality. They begin to create churches in which they then uh, criminal uh, criminalize the pre colonial modes of, 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 of spiritualities and they criminalizing them as demonic and then introducing Christianity as the only legitimate religion. So you, you, you can see how they were then, and then of course the other impact was really the settlement pattern. They begin to parcel out the land among themselves and they turn the people who previously owned the land into tenants in their own land. A, the the part of the country which I know really effectively, the southwestern part, is that up until the Second World War, the the, the, the still occupied lands around Bulawayo and the and the other areas where which was the heart of the Ndebele state. But after 1945, they began to put them into into the peripheries because they were now taking physical occupation of those lands, and the the veterans of the 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 First World War, the veterans of the the, the Second World War were now the beneficiaries of those farms which which were which they were they, they were being given and the original people who were now tenants and if you were tenants one of the obligations was that you needed to provide labor uh, to to the now new owner yeah. and of course they also then uh, define themselves as 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 uh, all the people were, were now calling white people in course. Onkos. Mm. But Onkos was a, a name which was previously reserved for the leadership 
of, of the pre-colonial people. Now the colonizer says turn around and they turn and they say to me, I'm now your king or your your equal. Mm-hmm. So all those things had the impact, and the impact really affects the dignity of the people. And then the, the, the other impact which we always ignore is that under colonialism, violence becomes, in the Fanonian sense, atmospheric. Everything is coerced, is coercion. They are causing people to pay tax. They are causing people to live in a, what they call the line. They are causing people to take their cake to the deep tank. They are causing people in every sphere. The colonial rule was really, you don't talk about governance in colonial rule. It was mere brutality as a form of, of, of governance. Welcome to Afro Verdict on Sputnik Africa. I'm your host Victor and together with Professor Sabelun Glovogacheni, we are discussing pre-colonial Zimbabwe, the events that led up to its independence and the future outlook of the country. What would you say were the effects that the British colonial rule had on the development of the peoples in the Zimbabwe region? Yeah, of course, the colonialism is actually the source of underdevelopment. There was no intention to develop. Uh, anyway, I don't like even that word to develop because it assumes that they were underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of, of colonialism was a civilizing mission that uh, colonialism is meant to civilize the people. But again, civilizing meant that you dispossess them, you peasantize them, you, you make them propertyless people. Uh, and, uh, and that, to me, is not development, it's actually destitution and underdevelopment. So if you take the cake from the people, you take the land from the people, you can't use the word development. You are really... Uh, sowing the seeds of underdevelopment. And the, the other impact is that uh, pre-colonial people used to produce food for themselves. They used to, to do uh, cake rearing for their own consumption and a few for, for sale. And they produce crops and they also uh, cereals for their own consumption. Under colonial rule, the economy changes the structure. It changes from being for consumption and the, the, the people are forced to produce cash crops, which were then needed uh, by, 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 by the Europeans, and they also they were needed also uh, overseas. Uh, <clears throat> so that, that really cannot be spoken about in terms of development. The people became poorer under colonial rule than they, they were before. And uh, you remember that under colonial rule, there was something called destocking following the Land Husbandry Act of 1951. And uh, following the Land Husbandry Act, African households were supposed to have a limited number of stock. And uh, the idea was that this is land, uh, what we call environmental conservation. But uh, the major problem why they were doing that is that they pushed the people into smaller portions of land. And uh, the more the animals increased, the more they spoke about the soil erosion and all that because they had taken the, vast, the, 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 the bulk of the land. Uh, I, I actually almost witnessed that because I was born uh, during the colonial era. Uh, and the, all this issue of forcing people to do contour reaches, 
to say we are doing land conservation. The problem was not that people are living a life which is terroristic to the land. It is because they are too concentrated in a small land. And the bulk of the land is now taken as farms, as commercial farms. So, so, so really, I don't think we can really talk about uh, about development. There are people who will say, yeah, they brought medicine, they brought hospitals, they brought roads, and all that. The, what they don't understand is that those things were not meant really to benefit the people. It was meant for white secular colonialism. The whites were now seculars within 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 that land, and they wanted infrastructure for themselves. If we benefited from that infrastructure, it was incidental. It was not actually the intention. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, if it wasn't there in the first place, then obviously there was no need for it. So what factors would you say led to Zimbabwe gaining its independence? Of course, um, there are many factors, and the, the ironic part is that those factors are big even after the so-called independence. Uh, you know, the causes of of, 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 of the war of, of liberation was also white secular brutality. The, 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 the African nationalism was trying to, to, to protect the people from white secular brutality. That's one. Two, the, the, the land question, uh, that the land has been taken and the, the assumption was that independence will bring land back. Uh, three, the issue of dignity, the dignity of the people that we, we the, the African people were reduced, and we need to put this very clearly. They were reduced to subjects. They were never citizens under colonial rule, mm. and they, as subjects, they subsisted under what what Mamdani would call the the native authorities. Uh, and the under native authorities were governed by custom, not by civil and the political right. Only the whites who were living in the urban, they enjoy civil and the political rights, including voting rights. The, 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 the colonized people had no right to vote. They, they, were not, they were not citizens, so there were no rights to vote. The government was not theirs. They were conquered people within, within the, colonial, the colonial setup. So really, they were just being commandeered by the, the secular colonial state to, to do what was beneficial to the secular colonial state. And the other cause of, 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 of discontent was actually the taxation. Multiple taxes which were imposed. And these taxes ranged from dog tax, a head tax, poll tax, and all these other taxes which were imposed where the state wanted to sponsor itself by actually even taking money from the indigenous people while the state... And you remember this issue of saying there is no taxation without representation. Yeah, uh, but for them, no representation, but still they extracted taxes from 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 the indigenous people, and they, it is all those things which people which led to the to the rise of 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 of, of, of African nationalism, uh, beginning intensifying in the 1960s, uh, uh, particularly starting in the in the late 50s with the formation of the Southern Rhodesia African National Congress, uh, right into the formation of the National Democratic Party, right into the formation of ZAPU, right into the formation of ZANU. And indeed, in the, in the 70s, then it turns from mass nationalism into armed liberation struggle because the, the, the settlers 
were not prepared to to for any peaceful means of 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 of, of people demanding that. But the country is ours. The land is ours. We are the indigenous people here. So you will need. You came from somewhere. You conquered. You took this land by force. So we will use force to take it from you. You're listening to Afro Verdict brought to you by Sputnik Africa with your host, Victor Anakin. And we are joined today by Professor Sabelo Ndlovo Gacheni to celebrate Zimbabwe's independence. He explains the factors that impacted the politics of the then South Rhodesia and the effects thereof on Zimbabwe as we know it today. And in what way would you say is Zimbabwe still a victim of neocolonialism today? In fact, the, 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 the question of neocolonialism, I think it must begin really with our understanding of what happened at the Lancaster House con- a, a Constitutional Conference in 1979. A, at the Lancaster House uh, Constitutional Conference in 1979, as, as, you, as you might know, a, the Americans were involved. The British were obviously on the on the driving seat, and the, that 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 what uh, where Zimbabwe was midwife uh, at Lancaster, it was midwife in a child which was going to be actually neo-colonial, and the, what was negotiated was that the white settlers' interests were supposed to be secured, particularly the land, and the, in order to be given independence, you needed to make the commitment that you won't victimize. The white minority settlers, settlers in, in uh, the British, the, the Americans, they were protecting their kith and kin uh, in the in the negotiation. This is why land was postponed uh, for ten years. That land reform, you can't claim land reform. You can't take uh, what we call compulsory rent and land uh, uh, land reform uh, from 1980 to 1990. It was a willing seller, willing buyer. But there were no willing sellers, even if we wanted to buy the the the, the white minority uh, <clears throat> commercial farmers. They were not selling the land, even those who had left the country. They still kept their land, and they had exactly deep. So even if the government wanted to buy, they were able to buy a, a very small percentage of land. Not because they did not want to buy one; their money was limited. Uh, what was promised in Lancaster was not was not honored by the British and the Americans. Uh, secondly, the commercial farmers were not selling uh, in, terms, in terms of the land. So that actually then creates really a, one condition of a, a neo-colony. A neo-colony is whereby you have sort of fake independence. And then the second aspect is that in order to understand a neo-colony, you must understand the reproduction of the ways of colonialism after independence. And if you understand how even the African nationalists, Mugabe and the others in power, they reproduce some of the some of the problems of colonialism after independence. For instance, the Law and Order Maintenance Act, LOMA, which was criticized left and right during the colonial era. They didn't repeal it after after 1980. The Emergence Powers Act. They didn't repeal it after 1980, and they used that to decimate the Zimbabwe African People's Union and to kill the people of Matavele. 
to the number of 20,000. And if that brutality continues, we can't then talk about an independent Zimbabwe, which is very different from a secular colonialism, because the same logic of brutality are being reproduced by the so-called independent state. The independent state is supposed, if it is not a neo-colony, to respect the life of the people in which it represents. It can't again turn around and kill the same people. And my last question for you, what is behind the Western sanctions regime that Zimbabwe has been living under for more than 20 years now? From 1980 to 19, to say around 19, uh, <clears throat> 1997, yes. that's when Mugabe became an evil person. Uh, before that, the British liked him a lot. Even when the violence was happening, they never condemned him. And after nine, they gave him knighthood during that period. But after 1990, when he, they were now moving into taking the land, that's when Mugabe became a detector in the British eye. Yes. And, that, and when they took, actually took the land from 2000, then he became really enemy number one. And that's when they begin this, uh, the imposition of these uh, restrictions and uh, their argument justifying them he is violating human human rights and democracy, uh, and then they use that to 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 punish. But the issue, really, which we need to underscore uh, very clearly, is that what Zimbabwe was trying to do to compulsory take the land from white farmers, the whole of the European world, the American world, they will never allow that to happen without punishment. They will always punish you that. It must not have a ripple effect because the fear is that it can extend to Namibia. It can extend to South Africa. So Zimbabwe needed to be really uh, be made a lesson that you never ever do this. If you do this, we will collapse the economy. We will collapse the government. That it survives is, 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 is just because of other means. But generally, they collapse the economy and the logic of collapsing the economy is that the people will rise against you, then remove you from power. You are listening to Afro Verdict from Sputnik Africa. I'm your host, Victor Anakin, and it was my pleasure speaking to Professor Sabelon Glovo Gacheni, who gave us some excellent insight into the political and social aspects of South Rhodesia and what traces of neocolonialism we still see in Zimbabwe today. Thank you for joining in and I hope you enjoyed today's historical lesson. Stay tuned to get the latest African opinions on events around the world and on the continent with Afro Verdict. Until next time.